Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Deeper Daily Podcast for the 15th day of November. I am Paul. Thanks for joining me today as we work on the final lines of the creed, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. And over the course of the next few days, we're going to try to break down this ending of the creed, and I'm going to work through it, with it, and a little bit out of order at times. Um, Specifically today, I really want to focus more on the last phrase, life everlasting, and I'll I'll show you why in a moment. Um, Not not to ignore resurrection of the body, because that's, of course, something that is crucial to the Christian faith, but because this is a late addition to the creed, as in 4th century addition to the creed, that last phrase, life everlasting, the earliest forms of the creed ended with the phrase resurrection of the body. And I think because when you think about it, the resurrection is sort of the end game for the for you and I. It's not really the end game of passion of Christ when he, he dies on the cross, he descends into the dead, he resurrects. It's not the end because he ascends to be seated at the right hand of the Father, ever lives to make intercession for us. And the ascension is as important I don't think more so or less so, but as important as the death, burial, and resurrection. So when we say resurrection, we often think of the end, and that's why I think the original creed, I'm talking for us, resurrection for us, we think of the end, and I think that's why the original creed stopped there. The problem is, is that it's not really the end of the story, it's just that we're resurrected. And the reason it's not the end of the story is because Almost every book of the New Testament has the phrase everlasting life or life everlasting in it. And so the New Testament, you could, you could say, is a bit obsessed with life after this life. It doesn't give the details that we are often looking for, which is like, what happens the second you die? Or what does this place called heaven look like? And Um, Do we know everything going on on the earth while we're in this place called heaven? Does the eternal and the temporal run on the same timeline? All these questions we've got that, that are fascinating and we would love to get answers to, the Bible doesn't bother with, but it also, but just because it doesn't bother with those specifics doesn't mean it doesn't bother with life everlasting. It, it bothers with it tremendously. I want to use as a verse today, the most, probably the most famous verse in the New Testament, probably maybe the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Or you could say life everlasting. Now, the reason I'm starting here is because I, I, what our suspicion is, is that by that fourth century when the creed, when they start to write that addition, life everlasting, it's because some of our early church writings show that there was some issues that had arisen with people wondering about the permanence of resurrection. And there's a couple reasons for that. The first reason might be in the Greek and the Latin, of course, our New Testament is written in Greek, but our earliest translations, our scribal copies of the New Testament were always written in Latin. So both the Greek and the Latin have only one word for two English words that we do not think of as the same thing, resurrection and resuscitation. We think of resurrection as the dead coming back to life or coming to life in a new form. 
resuscitation we think of as someone who has stopped breathing, their heart has stopped beating, but they haven't been there long enough to be really dead. And so they are resuscitated. They come back to consciousness, but not necessarily back to life because they never left life. So we see resuscitation and resurrection as different. The Greek and the Latin do not have two different words. So in the Greek and the Latin, the same thought is conveyed when you talk about resuscitation and resurrection. That caused our first several centuries of early church development to develop this question. Did Lazarus die again? And the common answer is yes, he did die again. So if Lazarus died again, then how can I be sure that when I resurrect in Christ, I won't die again? Why do we not die again if Lazarus died again? And considering that Lazarus was actually resurrected by Jesus, shouldn't the resurrection life that Jesus provides to Lazarus go forever? And then that causes the church, the early church, to start to lean hard into this idea of life everlasting. And so if you go through the New Testament, you'll find that phrase, life everlasting or everlasting life, over two dozen times in specific verses. Even in the books where it doesn't appear, it's highly implied. But we're not just talking about a life that doesn't end. The New Testament writers, when they talk about life everlasting, are talking about life that's in the presence of the eternal, a life that goes on both in the presence of the eternal and because of the presence of the eternal. And there's a difference, and that contrast is evident. And so in this life, we have the, the struggle, we have the pain, we have the tragedy of this present life. But we know that there's a future life. We know that there's an eternal life. And what makes it so blessed, so hopeful, so positive, is that it's in such great contrast with the life that we have. Let me read for you a phrase from St. Augustine and his writings and confessions. And you you can get a lot of good information if you read the early writers. It doesn't mean that um, everything that you read is something that is going to be of value to you. You got to, I don't know if it might not be the right phrase to say, you know, swallow the chicken, spit out the bones or whatever, but, or don't throw the baby out of the bathroom, whatever illustration you want to use. But this is a pretty good line from Augustine's confessions. He says this very early in the, in the work, Lord, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. And this is the explanation of a true life in God, and only that life which is eternal is true life. So when we say, you, when we read John 3.16, gospel of the Lord, he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You could think of it this way, shall have the life lived out in the presence of the eternal one, And the reason why we say you receive eternal life now is because you get to start living out life in the presence of the eternal one. So when the creed ends with life everlasting, it's to help explain 
the resurrection of the body. And that's why we do this a little bit backwards in this one, so that by knowing we're going on to resurrection of the body, we have a little bit of information to work with. Uh, I'm sorry. Knowing we're going on to life everlasting, we have a little information to work with in regards to resurrection of the body. And we'll get started on that tomorrow. See you then. God bless.